to the CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. I'm Molly Rao, your host, and I have an awesome guest here. And I'm not going to say her last name because I think it's so elegant, I couldn't do it justice. So Debbie, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Thank you so much, Molly. Uh, my name is Debbie Arechica, and I always say... Betchiga can't say Arechiga, and then you'll never say it wrong again. So um, anyways, um, uh, great to be a part of this wonderful podcast. Um, I'm from Tucson, Arizona, and love the state of Colorado, and I'm really honored to be a speaker here at this wonderful conference. We're happy to have you. I'm so excited. Um, so Debbie is kind of an expert with our language learners, and we were talking about how no matter where you teach, it's probably going to be something that it's going to come. So even if you work in a place where maybe you don't have a lot of language learners yet, they'll be there. And that all students are language learners. But um, So I was telling her earlier about my own school where we did not have an ELL specialist until recently. And just the last two years, we do have that role and that like rapidly changing population in my own district. And so she's gonna kind of talk me through a little bit what I could do in my own classroom to maybe better meet the needs of my students. All right, well, you know, this has really sort of been my passion, my work uh, in my field of uh, consulting and working in schools across the country. And uh, in my book that I recently published, Reaching English Language Learners in Every Classroom. So the idea behind that is, while there are those of us that may have had education in that field of language learners, the reality is, is these students are in our classrooms. And really the aim of that is support people such as you who are classroom teachers. And uh, if the demographics haven't shifted yet, they will. I actually talk about schools at the epicenter of change and really lay out how uh, some of our linguistically diverse classrooms and how they're shifting. You know, we have over 425 languages present in this country. And so this isn't just an issue of children who may speak, you know, predominantly Spanish, which although that's a quite predominant language, but this is really an area where all students are English language learners. And that's really my premise. And so as a classroom teacher, I really feel that we need to see ourselves as language teachers. Whether we teach a content, such as social studies or science or mathematics, there's a language to that content. And the goal is to help all learners access that content. And so if they understand that it's driven around the vocabulary of that content, we can do some things that are really supportive for all students, particularly our ELLs. So one thing that I always talk about is the notion of really uh, keeping the learning comprehensible and being aware. And these are things that you probably do already, mm -hmm. but it's really being more alert to being very productive in how you plan adequately to meet the needs of a wide range range of learners. So for example, I'm going to talk about this a little bit tomorrow in one of my sessions about helping ELLs navigate complex texts. One of the things that's so critical is we want to think about keeping our learning context embedded versus context reduced. So, you know, for example, if you know that your learners in general are going to need to understand place, time, people, 
uh, really maybe a period of time, could be anything around a content because everything's driven through our vocabulary. We might do things such as be really intentional in how we use our language and a visual to represent that learning tied together because if you were in a classroom and you didn't speak the language, you would get so much if a teacher was really methodical about showing you while she's pointing, touching, showing, using some nonverbal cues, being really intentional there versus this is this. Well, I don't mm -hmm. know what this is. Let's really play that out. And I, I, I sort of show how it's all integrated and very embedded versus isolated. You know, we've all known the importance of vocabulary with a non-linguistic representation, such as a word or some kind of a, a visual organizer, but it's even more than that. It's really understanding what are the demands of your content and how do you really plan adequately for that. I'm trying to kind of wrap my brain around what this might look like in the things that I'm studying. So, um, so one thing I just did with my kids and you might be like, Ooh, I don't have enough background knowledge in this to talk to you about it. We just did some studying on radioactive decay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, basic idea, you have an atom, right? And some atoms are not stable and they start falling apart at their nucleus. So if the nucleus is falling apart, we have radioactive decay. Sure. So the protons and the neutrons um, are going through some changes. So in some instances, the atom is losing particles. In others, neutrons actually break apart into a proton and an electron. And so that changes what the actual element is. And so um, if I'm talking about showing kids that, are you talking like what I have both models, drawings, like what are some of the things yeah. that I would use to yeah. help them build maybe the vocabulary? Maybe they don't even have the vocabulary for an atom and a proton and a neutron and an electron. So you're so, hitting so on some do, key things. Yeah, where do you start? So well, you're, you're hitting on some key things. First of all, conceptually, we have to think about. Okay. Like, do they conceptually understand what it means for something to break apart? What okay. happens when something okay. breaks apart? So I'm thinking maybe a demonstration of that idea and then linking that possibly to some of what I call the tier three vocabulary of your content. Mm -hmm. Proton, all of those mm -hmm. atoms, elements, they're going to need to have some understanding of mm -hmm. that as well. But I could see visuals. I could see maybe a, a demonstration where you really actually total physical response, maybe even give kids a nonverbal way to understand the okay. cons conceptual understanding. Mm -hmm. It's not that we have to front load everything because what we want, we want kids to actually be able to then take, you know, I guess what I would say to you is really setting the foundation of that goes a long way for their ability to access the, the, the complex texts. Mm -hmm. it's, it's more about sort of going beyond just being linear yeah. but being more multi-sensory. Okay. You can think of it in that way. Mm -hmm. So it's always unpacking yourself and thinking about, hmm, if I don't know, and you know, you're an expert in your content. You yeah. mean, even you explaining it to me. <laughs> I don't feel like an expert. I mean, but <laughs> even talking to me <laughs> is really, you know, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's new learning. Because, you know, for me, you know, I do a lot with also in the primary levels. Mm -hmm. Some of this is just sim simple ideas, such yeah. as giving kids uh, new labels for concepts already formed. So, okay. you know, if I know about being very happy, then I can link to gleeful 
Mm-hmm. joyful. That's a lot easier than, you know, some other areas that might be really foreign to understanding. So, so really understanding the layers of, of what they're learning, okay. I think can make a go a long way. I think the other thing too, is I shared this, I share this uh, technique as well. You know, we're, our, we're in a world of digital media now. Mm-hmm. And so the notion is, is how do we utilize digital media in a really smart way? Our students are on digital meeting 24-7, right? <laughs> yes. They're on YouTube. They're looking at things. And, you know, there's positives to that and there's negatives. And one of the things that I find that can be a negative is when they're at home on digital media, they don't really have to do anything with that experience. They can sort of decide, I don't really, not interested. I'm going to go click on another video. And so we sort of developed this whole generation of ADHD kids on devices and adults because mm-hmm. we just sample information. Mm-hmm. We don't always get, you know, we, we don't can, dig. We don't dig. Well, we have to change that narrative in a classroom setting. We really do. Yeah. Because I always say a digital device is more and more schools are moving to one to one, never replaces a teacher, but should enhance what a teacher might not be able to do necessarily in a class of 25. We can help kids access something highly visual. We can bring virtual reality to their worlds, mm-hmm. right? Of things they may yeah. not experience. So one technique that I found to be really useful is we are a generation now of the two-minute video, the one-minute video. There's so many wonderful resources out there where you can take a look at your content and say, you know what? In this two-minute video, it not only explains this process, but it uses some of the key terms that I want kids to really grasp. So one technique that I've used really uh, quite, quite a lot is I generally like the idea of wholeness, to analyzing in part mm-hmm. back to wholeness. So I always feel like sometimes we jump to analysis before mm-hmm. kids get the wholeness of something. Yeah. And sense, bottom line. It should make sense. And one of the ways we help their day make sense is we help provide some of those connectors for them across their day so that they may not always see that, but the more you bridge that, it's the way information is stored in the brain. It's brain-based mm-hmm. learning. And so the more connections across some of this vocabulary, it's huge. I love your idea. That's, I, again, it's, it's, again, part of the ways that we really uh, yeah. meet the needs. And I think that's something that elementary teachers can do very strategically. But I think it's something that middle school teachers and high school teachers forget that we can do, that we can make those connections. I mean, when I sit down to read with kids in social studies, we immediately have like a reminder about text features. Like what are text features, guys? What are we going to be looking for? Because we're reading nonfiction and those are really useful tools. And so just remembering Mm -hmm. that even though we're teaching a content, there are so many tools and there's background knowledge that we can trigger and use and yeah, you know, support whatever you're teaching at whatever well, level. And what you're really hitting on too is the notion of, of cross-disciplinary yes. teaching. And I think that when we look at the middle school model and the high school model, I think our standards have really sort of compartmentalized have, us. Have, have somewhat also asking us to be more like that actually, mm-hmm. because if you're going to work with those informational text standards I don't care whether you're social studies or science, you need to be cross-disciplinarian because if we have those conversations 
across what you're doing, maybe in an ELA class versus social studies or science, you're able to make those connections or mathematics. Mm -hmm. It's all, it's that language. What is the language of your content? How can we make connections across other areas as well? So, yeah. Yeah. And I just had another thought, you know, you were talking about like motions, you know, and you couldn't see her, but when we were talking about the atoms breaking apart, she was making a very, you know, big breaking apart (laughs) gesture. And it made me think, um, I've never actually truly used the whole brain teaching, but I know they use like a lot of motions and, you know, the kids kind of do some verbal activities all together. And I did some similar kinds of things, you know, in my sixth grade science class and you know they always did have a much better vocabulary development when you really slow it down break it down give them some you know some motion some visuals some it's building motor memory you know think about it you know you got all these memory systems at work and anytime you put something physical to something that's going on internal you make that visible Mm-hmm. And that's our goal is always to make what's going on up here in the brain to make it very visible for learners. Yeah. And so when you use visuals or you use motions or you use inflection of voice, I talk a lot about nonverbal mm-hmm. techniques and how that really impacts sort of um, uh, how, how, how comprehensible something is. For example, you know, teachers, I do a lot of modeling in my work and teachers always comment do you know that you used this term probably 15 times? You kept coming back, coming back, coming back, coming back, because it was key critical to what I was doing. It was like maybe mm-hmm. part of my objective, part of yeah. my learning goal. And I, they said, do you, do you realize that? And I go, well, that's intentional, because that's the whole goal of, you know, when you're thinking about ways that you're presenting information, you have to be really strategic to think about, you know, if I hear something once, that's not anywhere near what I might need to be able to grasp something. So if you know your end in mind, you're really thinking about that. And that's the same idea with anything that we do. I mean, just being really intentional. I think Mm -hmm. that's the big thing. It's not that we haven't used gestures. It's Mm -hmm. not that we haven't used visuals. It's not that we haven't thought about even our facial expressions. Mm -hmm. It's We've done all of that. But now we're thinking... Wow, there's a purpose behind that. Yeah. It's intentional. I raise my voice. I slow down. You know, uh, mm-hmm. speech. You know, if you're in a classroom where you know that, you know, you need to slow down a little bit. You need to, you know, change your inflection. There's just all kinds of ways that you are being aware, I guess, of mm-hmm. the needs of your classroom. And I say it's good for all kids. <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. Not only good for yeah. our students who may find learning a language challenging, mm-hmm. uh, uh, particularly English, yeah. uh, but it's good for all students. Yeah, and I agree with that. I was actually thinking, I have a student, you know, I was telling you about the solar panel right. and the energy thing. So we finished that unit, but I have a student that I sat down earlier this week and I said, you were really struggling and you're still struggling and you're not there yet. And that's okay. I said, here's the things you can do right now that we have to build on. I said, let's work on this because I want I want you to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And just because, you know, we've moved on. We haven't moved on. You can still learn these things. So she and I are working through it. And I'm thinking back to, you know, some of the things I did and how I can sort of reteach those to her with some of these new strategies. And she's not, you know, by definition, a language learner, but she is a struggling student. And everything we're talking about right now, I'm like, okay, I can sit down with her and here's what we're going to do. And it gives you me can- a much better sort of 
idea of how I can help her because she wants help and I want to help her. And, you know, I was racking my brain for how I could do it differently this time around because the first time I failed her. You know, well, most of the kids, they did great. Her, I didn't, you know what I, I think, didn't meet her. I always needs. say that's why we have so many days in a year. Yeah. Because we get to go back and we get to reflect. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the key. What worked, what didn't work. Uh, who did this meet the needs of? Who didn't? How can I, you know, uh, better... Uh, present this in a different way. I do a lot with chunking of information, Mm -hmm. a lot of highlighting for certain kids, Mm -hmm. very important pieces if I'm working with a piece of text. And sometimes it it doesn't take a lot of time, but just giving kids tools to know what to pay attention to. Some kids may not know how to do that well, particularly in content area reading. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can help kids access complex text. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned highlighting like that's one of my things that I, it's a pet peeve because I'll sit down with kids. I'm like, all right, we got to work oh, on no, strategy <laughs> because they will highlight the whole paragraph. Oh, yeah, they get highlight like, happy. No, no. And what I'm really saying about here is actually you highlighting yeah, for the them. And that's what I was going to ask you. Do that, I do that? That is or? part of, if you're presenting a piece of text, mm-hmm. you've actually taken the next step to scaffold that for yeah. those learners. Yes. We have to teach them tools of good yeah. highlighting practice and mm-hmm. how to annotate text. That's a whole other yeah. conversation. But 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 that's a, a scaffolding or a bridging strategy mm-hmm. that for some learners could be really instrumental because we know that if we point out certain things, we help draw their attention to what matters mm-hmm. so that they can access that content. Yeah. So in the mean in the in when you do that, you also are teaching them. Do you notice how I did a key phrase here? Mm-hmm. Or where did I find this? Oh, this is in the heading. Oh, this is one of the bold words. Or mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that might happen in that in that uh, kind of scenario. Okay. I like that. So many good ideas. I have another student, and it's been a long time since I've had a student who struggled with reading as much as the one I have now. So some of these things might work for him. So as an eighth grader, you know, he's probably at a second grade reading level. And so it's like, okay, how do you make class work for him? Because you don't want to dumb down the content. I have one of one of my other students who I've, you know, I've traveled with this group of kids. So I had them as sixth graders and seventh That's graders and now cool. eighth graders. It's yes. fun. And I have one, we have an amazing relationship and, um, you know, he knows I'm in his corner, but he's a struggling reader, not, not quite struggling as much as second grade, but he struggles a ton. And, you know, sometimes he'll look at me and he's like, Miss Rao, you know I can't read this. And I'm just like, you can. You just need some help with it. You know, and you just need some strategies and some different tools. And like he and I break it break it down sometimes. Like one day he was looking for a certain piece of information and I just said, look in the second paragraph. And that's all he needed. But, you know, he got he gets to be so successful. But that not dumbing science down just because the reading doesn't quite mesh with their brains. You know, some of them, it just really, Mm -hmm. you know, reading, Mm -hmm. reading is not a natural thing for the human brain. Mm -hmm. It's really not. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like for him, you know, he gets to be really successful, but he's a brilliant scientist. Well, and that brings me to another point. Let's always remember that because a child can't speak a language, doesn't have any any correspondence to a child's level of intelligence. Yes. And that's very important because to not go, oh, well, the child can't speak this, so they can't do this. No, our job is to actually find a way to help that be accessible mm-hmm. because uh, that intelligence issue is not in equation with the fact that 
frankly, if you're learning multiple languages, uh, you're quite intelligent. Mm-hmm. So, so I always find yeah. that sometimes, particularly when this changes and all of a sudden you have a classroom and you have four or five kids, for example, who are learning English mm-hmm. and you may not feel like you're really equipped or what can I do? And we can develop learned helplessness really, really quickly in classrooms. And that's really something that has kind of been a champion of mine is to ensure that we help to bridge this 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 understanding we we support our learners but we also don't provide we we also just sort sort of say we'll do it with a partner all the time do it with a partner so that so there's no there's no sense so we have to know who these learners are where their proficiency levels lie what could be expected how can we support them Mm -hmm. and and sort of that whole notion of 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 not pulling pulling the for my two students who are designated as language learners. I think I only have two right now. We have so many coming, like we're rapidly growing over a hundred new kids this year. Wow. So it's, I'm, I'm like trying to count now. Like, do I have more now? Um, but well, this has been yeah, exciting. So, Thank you so for, for, so, um, yeah, I'm for glad inviting to learn me new today. strategies I can oh. take back to my changing population yes. of students. And, yes. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. And I'm just real excited about this work and, um, Glad I could help you a little bit today yeah, in the process. And you know, we'll be able to direct some attention to you through the podcast and hopefully you'll get some clicks on is it tools for literacy? Tools for literacy. And I swear I've heard of that before. I think I might have been <laughs> That's so. just my own that's my business name. Yes. And you know, it just really is something that I've sort of just enjoyed this work. I mm-hmm. I love being I was a classroom teacher for almost seventeen years and yeah. 14 years ago, I began my own work and wrote a book and Mm -hmm. have loved and never stepped back from it because for me, I still teach lots of kids in my work because I always wanted to teach. Mm -hmm. It's never left me. But I always felt like I could impact the lives of so many more because the number one way we have to work through our teachers and give them the tools to feel like they can do. And that's really, really the premise of the work. And obviously Debbie has inspired me to go do a whole bunch, much, a whole bunch more learning on this because you can tell I am not an expert (laughs) in what she has to say. And that's all right. That's the nice part about what we do. So I get to go learn some more and get better at teaching my language learners effectively. All right. So, thank you thank for you. joining me, Debbie. Absolutely. It was awesome to have you. All right. Thanks for listening to CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. To find out more about CCIRA, go to ccira.org. On ccira.org, you can join as a member or find great resources like our professional development blog, which posts every Tuesday and has a variety of guest writers on an awesome selection of topics. CCIRA is a professional organization of educators and community members dedicated to the promotion and advancement of literacy. We also have a Twitter account at Colorado Reading. You can find us on Instagram at CCIRA underscore Colorado Reading. Or you can find us on Facebook where we also have a members only group that we're trying to build. And our Facebook account is CCIRA Colorado Reading. We'd love to hear more from you. And again, if you're looking for new content, please send any questions or things you'd be interested in seeing from CCIRA to CCIRAvideo at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and have a great week.